We've got a lot going on with Hong Kong and China, and it's going to have very serious consequences for big tech, Hollywood, and politics in this country. Donald Trump signed an executive order just a few days ago, which puts severe restrictions on people in China who may repress those in Hong Kong. But this executive order goes far and wide, is broad, and could potentially seize the assets of individuals deemed to be indirectly or directly involved in any kind of repression of Hong Kong citizens. Right now, we are just months away from Donald Trump's potential re-election, the November uh, 2020 elections. And we're seeing in the polls that Trump isn't doing too well. Biden's doing great. He's raising tons of money. And maybe Donald Trump is scared of a defeat. But I'll tell you one place Trump would win in two seconds, and that's probably Hong Kong. Okay, I'm joking. But you may have seen these images. Take a look at this picture. President Trump, let's make Hong Kong great again. Liberate Hong Kong. Here's another one. President Trump, please liberate Hong Kong. They're waving American flags. They're singing the American national anthem. The people of Hong Kong are in desperate need of help because China is slowly taking over and stripping away their rights. And now Bill Barr has made an announcement following the executive order from Donald Trump. He's basically saying to these big companies, big tech, Apple, Google, and Hollywood, it's time you stop. You stop playing this game with the Chinese Communist Party. Otherwise, you'll have to register as foreign agents for lobbying purposes. And potentially, if we keep seeing these American big tech companies basically give communist China whatever they want or the Chinese Communist Party, maybe they too will be subject to Trump's very broad executive order. Look, this latest order from Trump is very very serious. Imagine this. I mean, China's been buying up property in the US. Imagine now Trump telling them, hey, guess what? We're going to take that all away from you. We're going to wipe the debt clean. We owe you nothing. And at the same time, over in the UK, they're banning Huawei, a Chinese cellular technology company. So tensions are escalating. Some people are calling this the new Cold War. And many are concerned this could actually bubble into an actual hot war. You see, there's something I've brought up many, many times and it's called Thucydides' Trap. It's a reference to a rising power challenging the dominant power and how it almost always results in war. Members of the media have been writing about Thucydides' Trap now for several years, maybe five or six years, probably longer, as China has become more and more powerful on the global stage. And I think we really are entering this point. We're at a crossroads where this very well may end up as a hot war. Listen, man, We had a story the other day, NBA banned people from buying jerseys that said free Hong Kong. We saw high profile NBA players defend China. Video game and tech companies defend China. Propaganda being put essentially into Hollywood films. In in the film Abominable, uh, this, this girl walks past a map and there's a dotted line in the South China Sea. That is propaganda for China. Their influence is far reaching. And if we don't take a stand now, they'll just win. But perhaps some people are happy about this, thinking, hey, at least we'll avoid a hot war. Sure. The only problem, China is currently operating concentration camps. These stories are horrific and something must be done to stop them. You do not want to live in a world where the Chinese Communist Party takes over and starts shipping people off to camps to have their organs harvested. That is not an exaggeration. It is literally happening today. We're also getting reports that China is pressing on the boundary of India and with them trying to seize the South China Sea, it looks like they're acting very much like the Nazis did. Taking land, they say, well, it's supposed to be our land. You weren't supposed to have it. 
while locking people up in very horrifying ways. Well, today we're going to focus on what's going on with this executive order and how it might actually seize a lot of the resources of China. And China is calling out the U.S., demanding retaliation or threatening retaliation. Let's get started with what exactly is going on with this executive order from the South China Morning Post. I chose this source on purpose, mind you. Before we get started, however, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There's many ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is share this video or just subscribe. Surprisingly, I noticed simple math. Most of you don't actually subscribe to my channel, but if you want to at least increase the likelihood you get my videos delivered to you, subscribing really, really does help. And hitting the like button does. You're basically saying this is a good channel. The content is good and all around just helps, I suppose. Now, if you just want to watch, then still considering the like button, but let's read the news. Trump's executive order revoking Hong Kong special status. What is it and who will be affected? South China Morning Post says the United States can ban anyone deemed to be undermining freedom in the city from holding property in the country and refuse them and their family entry. Anyone. I want you to keep that in mind because I'm going to show you what Bill Barr had to say about Hollywood and these big tech companies. Anyone. Existing punitive tariffs the U.S. imposed on mainland China will be applied to Hong Kong exports. So this was just the other day. But now I move over to what Bill Barr had to say just today. And man, was it strong. He specifically called out a few examples of Hollywood bending the knee to China. Now think about it. If the Chinese government is repressing Hong Kong and Trump's executive order says anyone indirectly assisting these people will be sanctioned as well. What does that mean of these big tech companies? Maybe I'm reaching a little bit. But it really does sound like Trump might walk right up to the big tech companies' houses, these executives, and say, you recently launched a project to help the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah, under the, this law passed to help us protect Hong Kong and my executive order, we're seizing your property. Could that be? Maybe. Will it go that far? Maybe not. That's a bit extreme. But check out, check out what Bill Barr had to say. Attorney General Barr accuses Hollywood big tech of collaborating with China. That's the important language. Trump's going to drop some nukes, baby. U.S. Attorney General William Barr took aim at Hollywood companies, including Disney, on Thursday, as well as large tech firms like Apple, Google, Microsoft, over company actions with China, saying corporations such as Google, Microsoft, Yahoo, and Apple have shown themselves all too willing to collaborate with the Chinese Communist Party. Bill, uh, Bill said, I'm sorry, Barr said, Bill, what's his name anyway? He added that Hollywood has routinely caved into pressure and censored their films to appease the Chinese Communist Party. The companies and the Chinese embassy in Washington did not immediately uh, comment. Apple declined. I suspect Walt Disney would be disheartened to see how the company he founded deals with the foreign dictatorships of our day, Barr said in a speech at the Gerald R. Ford Presidential Museum in Michigan. Barr chided U.S. companies for being too willing to take steps to ensure access to the large Chinese market. The Chinese Communist Party thinks in terms of decades and centuries, while we tend to focus on the next quarterly earnings report, Barr said. America's big tech companies have also allowed themselves to become pawns of Chinese influence. Barr's was the latest attack on China from President Donald Trump's administration before his November re-election bid. In recent months, U.S. China ties have dipped to their lowest ebb in decades, strained over issues ranging from the global coronavirus pandemic and China's massive trade surpluses to Beijing's suppression of pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong, its military buildup in the South China Sea, 
and treatment of minority Muslims. Barr suggested that Apple iPhones wouldn't be sold in China if they were impervious to penetration by Chinese authorities. He suggested American tech companies were imposing a double standard. Barr noted, after China imposed a new national security law in Hong Kong, Facebook, Google, Twitter, and LinkedIn announced that they would temporarily suspend compliance with governmental requests for user data. If they stand together, they will provide a worthy example for other American companies in resisting the Chinese Communist Party's corrupt and dictatorial rule. Hear, hear, Mr. Barr. It's about time we call out China. The, the citizens of Hong Kong are deserving of their human rights, and so are, so are the people of China in general. But what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims goes above and beyond. They like to say on the left, think about you know, what you would do if you were alive you know, in, in, during World War II, because you're doing it right now. And they say this in reference to Donald Trump. They say this, to, this in reference to domestic policies that were put in place by Barack Obama. But I'll ask you the same question. Think about what you're doing now and what you think you'd be doing in World War II, because you are doing it now, because China, as we speak, is operating concentration camps. Today, there's a video of people being loaded onto trains going viral. This video is from last year, and people are bringing it up today. We know they're doing it. And more and more people are starting to speak up. Majid Nawaz, founder of the Quilliam, uh, I believe it's the Quilliam Foundation, has announced a hunger strike. Hunger strike. I'm going to get to these tweets uh, uh, later, but he's certainly putting his money where his mouth is, or at the very least, not putting anything where his mouth is. He's on a hunger strike because he's demanding we all come together left and right to, a, to address the horrific actions being undertaken by China. We cannot allow them to do this. Sanctions may be the first step, but we really do need international support. We don't want a World War III over this. Nobody should want this. But I don't know how we can sit by and just watch this happen. It's been happening for a long time. And, and unfortunately, you know, a, a criticism to myself included in this, many of us are distracted over what's going on with these culture wars and with the upcoming election. I mean, for good reason. There's real fear that Joe Biden will go soft on China and ignore this. And Donald Trump has always talked about China. There's a compilation video from 2015 before Trump became president. It's like 10 minutes of him saying China, 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 China. It's hilarious. But Trump was calling it out. At the very least, we need to pay attention to this. We need diplomatic solutions to force China to end these horrifying practices. But check this out. China's not going to take this lying down. They say, uh, so this is, I'm sorry, this is Bill Barr warning. This is a section I just want to uh, mention as I go to the, the story on Chinese retaliation. They're going to, he's going to force these companies to, uh, they could be required to register under U.S. lobbying laws. America's corporate leaders might not think of themselves as lobbyists, Barr said, but you should uh, be alert to how you might be used and how your efforts on behalf of a foreign company or government could implicate the Foreign Agents Registration Act. That is huge. Barr's issued a hard warning to these companies. But anyway, sorry, to what China was saying. China vows to retaliate after Trump signs Hong Kong sanctions bill. Beijing accused the United States of gross interference in Hong Kong affairs and promised a response. They say the response from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs in Beijing promised to continue a pattern of tit-for-tat punishments that have accompanied the sharp downward turn in relations between the two countries on a variety of fronts from trade to technology to human rights. China was swift to criticize Mr. Trump's latest actions, which he announced at a rambling White House news conference on Tuesday. I got to stop right there. Really, New York Times? Is this the time to a rambling White House? Shut up. Now is not the time for this. Our relations with China are collapsing. 
And this will lead us to a potential hot war. If trade relations break apart, and they have been, especially with COVID, if we have demands from people across the world to end what they're doing to the Uyghur Muslims, then what do you think comes next? Now is at the time to, to, to drop in your, your side slams of Donald Trump calling him a rambling whatever. Please talk about the severity and seriousness of what's happening. Look, we had a, a strike force, a, a, a strike team from, uh, from, from China go around Taiwan. You know, you know China wants to seize Taiwan. We had an elephant walk where the U.S. had bombers out in Guam, and apparently they had to retreat. The U.S. sent in some, some uh, destroyers. The potential for conflict is real and it's escalating. And now is not the time to complain about Trump talking the way he does. Those moves, along with his remarks, underscored the extent to which relations with Beijing have become intertwined with the American presidential election. Mr. Trump said he had issued an executive order revoking the special trading status, this we know. And China, of course, is now officials. I'll read. Officials in Beijing had clearly anticipated the moves, but they reacted harshly nonetheless. The act on the United States side maliciously denigrates Hong Kong's national security legislation, threatens to impose sanctions on China, and gravely violates international law and basic rules of international relations, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said in a statement posted on Wednesday morning in China, not long after Mr. Trump finished speaking. It is gross interference in Hong Kong affairs and China's internal affairs. Well, I want to show you a bit from the the actual executive order. This stuff's going to blow your mind. What Trump announced is much more far reaching than than it, it would actually seem based on these news stories. Let me read you this. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal expert, but check this out. Section four of Trump's executive order, all property and interests in property that are in the United States that hereafter come within the United States or that are or hereafter come within the possession or control of any United States person of the following persons are blocked and may not be transferred, paid, exported, withdrawn or otherwise dealt in. Keep in mind, United States person, keep in mind property. What is property? Stocks, companies, equity, cash, a picture of your grandmother, property, anything you might own. And he's talking about U.S. persons as well. Now, he starts off in a rather obvious way. A, any person, any foreign person determined by the Secretary of State in consultation with the Secretary of the Treasury or the Secretary of the Treasury in consultation with the Secretary of the State to be or have been involved directly or indirectly in the coercing, arresting, detaining or imprisoning of individuals under the authority of or to be or have been responsible for or involved in developing, adopting or implementing the law of the people of the Republic of China. Yada, yada. We, we get it. Government officials, right? But I go down and we start to see something interesting near four and five to have materially assisted, sponsored or provided financial material or technological support for or goods or services to or in support of any person whose property and interests in property are blocked pursuant to this action. You see how wide reaching that is? Somebody, uh, maybe Google provides an email address. I don't know to the extent to which he can actually enforce this. But this seems to go very, very far to be owned or controlled by or to have acted or purported to act. Now, this is nuts. Purported to act for or on behalf of directly or indirectly any person whose property or interests in property are blocked pursuant to this section. It sounds like if you work for a company that is a TikTok, for instance, they got to bite dance has interests. Come on, man. This is saying 
to have been purported to. This is, I got to say, man, it sounds extreme. So what, someone can accuse you of working at the behest of a company who has board members who are Chinese communist members? That's how insane it sounds. Maybe I'm wrong about this. Okay, I'm not a lawyer, but it really does sound like Trump's executive order is insanely broad. Now we can see some physical, like some, some, you know, actual hard and obvious actions. This is from today. U.S. considers travel ban on millions of Chinese Communist Party members. Draft proposal could reportedly revoke U.S. visas for all party members amid growing rift over Huawei, Hong Kong and trade. Listen, there have been reports that large swaths of land in the U.S. were bought by China. I was recently looking at some property. For those that aren't familiar, we are expanding the Timcast network. We're going to be buying big property. We're going to be hiring. We're going to be launching like a, an actual fact-checking division I've been talking about for some time. We're going to have a vlog. We're going to have a lot of fun. In my pursuit of new properties, I was speaking with some agents. One agent told me that China has been buying up tons of property. He said it's actually really crazy how much they've been buying. You know, those in the industry have seen this, and it's actually kind of worrying. Just like, why is it happening? Why is China doing this? Why are they allowed to do it? Well, foreign entities are allowed to buy things in the US. And a lot of people don't know this, but you can actually buy citizenship. It's really easy. Most countries have some kind of investment provision where you come with a certain amount of money and you get to buy your way in. I think in the US, it's like half a million dollars in investment in some company and you can get citizenship or residency. I'm not entirely sure, but they have websites explaining how you can do this. Some smaller countries, like some islands perhaps, can offer you a passport and they have great treaties for international travel. And it's something like 50 to 100K, boom, you're a citizen, here's your passport. That simple. So what happens? People in China buy up property, assets, real estate in this country. Well, Donald Trump just said, if you're associated with the Chinese Communist Party, which basically they all are, your property shall be ours, or at least frozen. Then, you could have somebody hired to maintain that property, not even realizing they're working for a Chinese company. There are stories about this. People who work for uh, agencies to allow immigrants to get visas and stuff, not realizing it's actually funded by the Chinese Communist Party. According to Trump's executive order, it seems like your assets could be frozen too. Or they could at least come to you and say, it's over. You no longer work here. And here's why. It seems like we are preparing for a hot war or at the very least walking towards one, whether we want to or not. This is what freaks me out. NBA store says free Hong Kong was inadvertently prohibited from jerseys. Oh, was it? If you go to the NBA store, you try to type in a custom phrase, free Hong Kong was blocked. The level to which American companies are bending over backwards for China is scary, especially considering what's going on with the Uyghur Muslims. And now Hong Kong. We have more, though, from the week. America is already losing the new Cold War with China, says Matthew Walther in, in, in an opinion piece. I hope not, because if a Cold War is being lost, then what's next? A hot war? Who wins that one? Now, a lot of people have said, of course, the United States will. We're technologically superior. Listen, man, we may be subverted from the inside. The spread of intersectionalism, critical race theory, critical gender theory, all throughout our government. The fact that we spend most of our time fighting with each other, it might not be so easy. United we stand, divided we fall, right? Well, if we have factions within the federal government who oppose each other, if we have people in our own government who are in favor of China, and it won't be so easy now, will it? 
Walther says, the relevant question about the prospect of a new Cold War between the United States and China is not whether it is likely to happen, but whether the U.S. has both the internal cohesion and the diplomatic acumen to wage it successfully. Defeating the genocidal tyrants in Beijing will require our politicians to have the same shared commitments and assumptions that made it possible for us to pursue an essentially unchanging containment strategy against the Soviet Union for four and a half decades, despite changes in administration and a cultural revolution in the 1960s. There are good reasons to be pessimistic. In the US, it is impossible for a president to consider even the most basic steps in the direction of remaking our trade relations with an adversary that destroyed our industrial capacity amidst almost zero resistance. The honorable stands made in the 1990s by organized labor and Pat Buchanan will be footnotes in the history of our decline. The Band-Aid measures proposed by President Trump, which represent about 1% of what will have to happen if the U.S. is to recover its tactile, farm, textile, pharmaceutical, and heavy manufacturing capabilities were widely dismissed as a trade war by the China Respecter Man. Even if we assume on the basis of no evidence that the American people are theoretically willing to alter their consumption habits, such that an unlimited supply of Chinese plastic junk is no longer essential to their daily lives, we would still face a journalistic, academic, professional, cultural, and political elite who will serve Beijing's interests. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. That is a spicy take from the week. Wow, man. All of our energy in this country is internal. The great racial tragedy of our age is not the genocide being carried out against the Uyghur Muslims in the West, in, in West China, but the continued existence of beloved syrup and football mascots. The villains are not pusillanimous, pusillanimous, pusillanimous collaborators at Disney and the NBA, but American senators who dare to suggest that the lives of people in Hong Kong matter more than box office receipts and profits from exhibition games and the sale of merchandise in a country in whose law the concept of racial discrimination does not even exist. On the one hand, China is literally enslaving the people of Eritrea as I write this. On the other hand, the bad orange man over here said Kung Flu. Only one of these countries' leaders is generally represented in domestic media as an authoritarian monster. Man, this guy is lighting things up. China's leaders understand the American propensity to make every crisis an empty exercise in tone policing. They know how to exploit our genuinely human impulses, which they not only do not share, but reject as a height of folly. They also recognize the vast swaths of our political and educational establishment, accept ideological commitments, such as a free trade that can happen to benefit China, as if they were undeniable scientific conclusions about the necessary conditions for, for decent human life. Look, look, I, I, think, I think we get it. The culture war is the advantage of China. They have a word, they say in China, baitswa, means white left. They mock us. And while Donald Trump is saying, hey, China's bad, they're saying orange man bad, orange man dictator. While China literally enslaves the pe- people of Eritrea, while they allow or, or, or are uh, complicit in this uh, damming of the Nile River, which will negatively impact China, they've tried to build a Nicaraguan canal. They're engaging in oil exploration. They are pumping out carbon emissions like no other country. And they are locking people in concentration camps to harvest their organs. And while all this happens around us, we unfortunately have grown too weak. We were strong 100 years ago, and we fought two world wars, and we defeated the Nazis in World War II and the, the Japanese, and Japanese imperialism for sure. But what's happening now? Are we so distracted with culture war issues we can't see what's happening right before our eyes? It's happening again. We said it wouldn't, but it is. 
And what can we do about it? Well, we need to come together. I'll read the the last paragraph from Walther. He says, this is to say nothing of the Houdini-like escape act China has carried out in the last seven months. When it briefly appeared as if we might be willing to hold Beijing to account for its blatant cover-up of the emergence of COVID instead, just as it did in the immediate post-Cold War era of globalization, when it appealed successfully to corporate venality, academic delusions, and a shallow conception of human dignity in order to capture Western markets, China has managed to exploit the recent pandemic. Among other things, Beijing managed to pit the World Health Organization, which it all but controls, against the president whose first response was to propose a travel ban that was widely dismissed as xenophobic overreaction. While Beijing marshaled all the awesome power of its surveillance state against the illness, we argued about whether we were hurtling the, hurting the feelings of the world's most vicious and repressive regime by blaming them for lying about whether this disease could even be transmitted by human beings. This will be, this will be more, cri- there will be more crisis like the one present in the decades to come as China expands its influence in sub-Saharan Africa, Latin America, the Gulf states and beyond. I do not expect more favorable outcomes. Earlier today, I tried to tweet out the story about Majid Nawaz and the Associated Press. I said, how do we sit back while this is going on? Follow Majid Nawaz, who is currently undergoing a hunger strike due to the human rights violations in China. Twitter blocked it. The reason why? I, I, don't, I don't know. I just tried to tweet it out in support of Majid Nawaz. Majid has, uh, has been asking many high profile people to, to help support him in this, in this. And the least I can do, especially if I'm going to be this hard on, on everybody else, is to tweet out his efforts to bring attention to what's going on in China. Well, it was blocked. And I said, Twitter is blocking me from sharing this AP story calling out China's human rights violation. Here is an archived version. The reason they were blocking it is likely because of the hash code from the AP. For some reason, people assumed Twitter was defending China and they accused me of trying. No, no, no. Listen, I wanted to share this tweet. I couldn't. I told people why it was and I linked to an archive. Majid Nawaz reached out with this tweet saying, please do not ignore a Muslim genocide for the second time in my life. I am already out of anger and no longer feel pain. I am asking for some love. Brits, sign this one for a parliament action. Non-Brits, sign here. You can follow Majid Nawaz at M-A-A-J-I-D-N-A-W-A-Z. I'll put his Twitter in the description below. The very least we can do, I suppose, the very least we can do is to highlight uh, what Majid Nawaz is calling for and bring attention to this. If we get wrapped up in more culture war issues, more so than what's happening with China, then we lose and China knows it. Listen, I think it's fair to engage in civic debate. We have an election coming up. I get it. So what I'll do is I'm going to do my thing. Okay. I, if you want to talk politics, domestic politics, I get it. I get it. Imagine Nawaz is saying no to that. He's saying he's going to call out this first and foremost. I'm going to do, I'm going to do better to make sure I continue, I continue to continue to talk about what's going on with China more so than I have been. And for the most part, considering an election is coming up, I do think we need to make sure we focus on this for one reason. Listen, man. I'm not convinced Joe Biden's going to do anything to stop China. I think Donald Trump has been, as pointed out by the week. And maybe that's why Donald Trump does need to win. I'm not convinced he will. We'll see how this plays out. But please stay focused. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews. And I will see you all then. Last night, the Twitter accounts for Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, and many other high-profile individuals and companies got hacked. They started tweeting out some stupid Bitcoin scam. Hey, if you send me Bitcoin, I'll send you back more Bitcoin. And apparently some people bought it. Now, at first, 
Many reporters were just simply saying it's a Bitcoin scam. And that's what they were reporting. But many other personalities said, no way this is a Bitcoin scam. There's easier ways to make money than using Barack Obama's Twitter accounts to ask for Bitcoin. But now, according to a story from Vice, the official narrative we're hearing is that some hackers did want to engage in some kind of Bitcoin scam. And they only realized later on that they had direct access to Barack Obama and, you know, many of these verified accounts. Twitter ended up locking out every blue check Twitter user, including myself, from tweeting. But now we're learning a couple, a couple of really important things. For one, in terms of breaking news, inside job. Hackers convinced Twitter employee to help them hijack accounts. Vice says after a wave of hacker take uh, uh, after a wave of account takeovers, screenshots of an internal Twitter user administration tool are being shared in the hacking underground. I have also received many images and, and communications. I can't confirm them for the most part. I'm not going to show them. But Vice does have many of these images. But let's just cut cut straight through all this. We'll read the news. But let me tell you, man. Yesterday on the Timcast IRL podcast, we talked about the, po- the possibility this was a state-sponsored attack, a shot across the bow. I've received some communications purportedly from Twitter users, or uh, Twitter uh, employees, and some people. I'm not going to pretend are confirmed, but let me just say I'm seeing conversations where the question is being asked. We don't necessarily know who these hackers are, how they were able to do what they do, other than did what they did. All we know is that they got access to these accounts, perhaps because of an inside uh, an inside job. That's the official reporting. But apparently, they were able to to bypass two factor authentication, which has led some to speculate that this was state sponsored because that's. I don't want to pretend like bypassing two-factor is the most, is like the best hack you could do, but it is fairly impressive, fairly impressive. You know, most of the time when we hear about a hack, it's just a trick. It's a social engineering scam where in reality, you weren't really hacked. You were just tricked into giving up your password, notably phishing scams, right? Somebody will, you'll get an email, email and it will look like it came from, you know, Gmail or something and you'll click it. And then you've accidentally given your password away. There are very sophisticated ways they can actually do this. They can use autofill uh, uh, hacks and things like this. But a legit full-on hack would be like breaching their database and gaining access to, say, administrative tools, which apparently they did. But again, it looks like it was with the help of a Twitter employee. Now, we talked a lot about how this may be a state-sponsored hacker and so, uh, you know, or, or, or attack. And many people said, oh, calm down. It's not that bad. This is not a state-sponsored thing. We're not going to war. Chill, 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 Tim. And I said, you realize if this wasn't a state-sponsored attack, this is substantially worse. If this was just some dumb kids or young people who are like, let's score some Bitcoin by taking over the current Democratic presidential nominee's Twitter account. You realize that's worse, right? That is so much worse. Listen, a state, say China or otherwise, they have interests. They don't want to watch the world burn necessarily. Maybe they're enemies. They would want to cause us harm, but they also can't do too much damage because of the international trade ties we still do have. There's money to be made in international trade. And the wealthy elites of all these countries don't want America destroyed. They just want to win. But what about a a Joker-like character? Some random, young, angry dude in his basement 
who's like, I just hate the world and I have nothing to lose because I have no ties to any community. I have no family, no friends or otherwise, and I can just take over whoever I want. That is worse. What we are learning now, okay, we, we, we've known since 2013 with the Associated Press hack that caused a massive stock drop off. We've known Twitter is a massive national security threat. But now we're learning just the extent of how damaging and insane this is. Twitter DMs, the direct messages of Barack Obama, Elon Musk, and Biden could have been stolen. Now, I'm not convinced that when it comes to Biden or Obama, that they're going to have, you know, state secrets or anything. Maybe, maybe passive comments. But Elon Musk, he might say something privately about Tesla that could damage or boost their stock, giving some individual the ability to cause severe damage to a major international corporation. More importantly, though, what if they start putting out DMs and they just start faking them and no one can tell if they're real or fake and then Twitter tries to deny it and then it just creates confusion. But more important than all that, what if some dumb kid, some stupid Twitter employee just decided to take over the accounts of some of the highest profile political and world leaders and make them tweet shockingly insane things which cause bedlam in the streets. Twitter wasn't able to regain control for hours. The AP hack in 2013 lasted about three minutes, I believe. And then they found out what what had happened. They shut it down. But in those three minutes, $136 billion had been transferred. Who made that money? Who had the short sell? Who who had the buy options? I'm, I'm not familiar, I'm not I'm not a trader, so I, I, I'm not going to term, terminology probably right. But you know the point. You get the point. What if people had set things up? Market hits. They 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 make all the money. They buy it all up at a low price. Massive transfer of wealth. Now what? If this was a state, you know, attack, we would know how to re- how to retaliate, how to defend ourselves. If this is a Twitter employee. It's worse. We now have, we have to do something to, to secure Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc. We, I, I do not, YouTube's a bit different because you've got a video, you know, but deep fake technology now exists. What, what, what could have happened if these people, man, if this really was just some random kid and they decided to tweet something crazy from Obama's account and Twitter couldn't do anything about it. And then people believed Obama said something crazy and then took to the streets, started rioting. Man, I don't know. Let me, let me read you the story. I want to show you this. So I'm also being told by a lot of people, Twitter lied to me and Joe Rogan because they said, you know, we don't ban, we don't shadow ban people. We don't restrict this, you know, for these reasons, that reasons. And Twitter's also put out a, uh, uh, t- Twitter's put out like a blog statement back in 2018 saying they don't shadow ban. I tweeted about this. Now it looks like they do. And we have evidence. If you tweet a screenshot of their admin panel, they'll ban you. Hijack uh, hackers convinced Twitter employee to help them hijack accounts. Vice says a Twitter insider was responsible for a wave of high profile account takeovers on Wednesday, according to leaked screenshots obtained by Motherboard and two sources who took over the accounts. All right. If they can confirm that these sources really did take over the accounts, then I am impressed. I am impressed with the level of confirmation Vice has on this, because typically news outlets will be like, Rumor is from some random guy I got an email from on Wednesday, a spike of high profile accounts, including Joe Biden, Elon Musk, Bill Gates, Obama, Uber, Apple, and uh, were hacked. Quote, we used a rep that literally done all the work for us. One of the sources told Motherboard, 
The second source added they paid the Twitter insider. Motherboard granted the source's anonymity to speak candidly about the security incident. A Twitter spokesperson told Motherboard the company is still investigating whether the employee hijacked the accounts themselves or gave hackers access to the tool. Twitter is straight up saying it would seem, assuming you trust Vice, the employee may have been the one who did it. An inside job. Somebody at, listen, Twitter is biased and we know it. Twitter has employees who hate Donald Trump. We've seen the videos from Project Veritas. There was a period, this happened a a while ago, where Donald Trump's Twitter account was deleted. Briefly, a rogue Twitter employee apparently on their way out said, delete, I'm deleting Trump. Why do they have that power? They cannot have that power. That has gone, this has gone too far. If some dumb kid, employee, young person, whoever can just have, you know, TDS, Trump derangement syndrome, and then hand over these, this, this power to random individuals, they could literally destroy the world. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. They, with Twitter being, not being able to correct this for several hours, they could put out tweets from uh, different accounts, different, listen, Barack Obama tweets. Then, you know, a few minutes go by and it's a seemingly innocuous tweet. Nobody really notices another tweet, this time from Joe Biden, more serious. Then Elon Musk confirming, I, I can't believe this. I'm seeing it with my own eyes. By the time Twitter realizes and starts trying to lock things down, more verified accounts start tweeting. All of a sudden, a wave of verified accounts are all confirming the same thing. A military incursion has happened. You know, uh, 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 an Air Force base has just been bombed, whatever. People start freaking out. They start rioting. Who knows? What I'm trying to tell you is yesterday, because of the duration of the hack, there could have been a much more sophisticated, coordinated assault. And that's probably why Twitter stopped all verified accounts from tweeting. That's Twitter admitting they know that in their hand, they can they have the power to literally destroy this country, potentially the world by triggering international incidents, which can spiral out of control. The reason I'm saying this again for the 50 billionth time, we have to lock Twitter down. We've got to do something. If some dumb kid can take Obama, take his Twitter account, I think there's been talk about nationalizing Twitter. I don't know if that's the appropriate answer, but I do know that we cannot allow Twitter to have this unilateral power, which can cause so much damage. The accounts were taken over using an internal tool at Twitter, according to the sources, as well as screenshots of the tool obtained by Motherboard. One of the screenshots shows the panel and the account of Binance. Binance is one of the accounts the hackers took over today. According to the screenshot seen by Motherboard, at least some of the accounts appear to have been compromised by changing the email address associated with them using the tool. In all, four sources close to or inside the underground hacking community provided Motherboard with screenshots of the user tool. Two sources said the Twitter panel was also used to change ownership of some so-called OG accounts. I love it, OG. That's the, these are uh, you know the original accounts from a long time ago that have one or two letter names. Twitter has been deleting some screenshots of the panel, and has suspended users who have tweeted them, claiming the tweets violate the rules. Here's an example. This tweet no longer is no longer available because it violated the rules. That, to me, confirms this image is real. And there it is. Now take a look at this. It says, you know, bounced, inactive, protected, compromised, trends, blacklist, search blacklist, read only. Now, someone sent me more screenshots that I, I can't confirm, but are very similar but I, it seems to be legit. I'm not going to show them again because if I can't confirm it, I'm not going to pretend it's real. But it looks very, very much the same as these. 
There's not any real any more uh, information I get from them. But look at this trends blacklist, search blacklist. Interesting. Search blacklist. What does that mean? There was a point. I believe it was Ronna McDaniel, uh, chairwoman for the RNC. I could be wrong about her title or whatever. But there was a high ranking Republican National Committee individual who wouldn't appear in search. Many people said shadow ban. Twitter said no. Simple mistake. Twitter came out and said, we don't shadow ban. We don't do anything like that. They do. They actually do shadow ban. They just tried changing the definition of a shadow ban so that they could tell you, we don't actually, nah, nah, nah. There it is. Search blacklist. Data breach monitoring and prevention service under the breach obtained a similar screenshot, uh, the Binance one, I believe, and then posted the image, but Twitter removed the tweet and suspended them. That's, that's, that's why I tried showing you just now because they didn't link to it. This is the internal uh, screenshot from Binance. Now, I actually have very similar screenshots that are much more clear and easy to see. This looks legit. The screenshots I have that someone sent me look legit. And it seems like people at Twitter are actually talking about whether this could have been China. There's no evidence to suggest for the time being who these people are, where they were from and what their goal was. But I'm just going to say, I don't believe this right now confirms it was or wasn't a state level attack. And I think, you know, just to be clear, all of the talk we had the other day, it's pure speculation. Literally could just be a dude in his basement. We have no idea. A Twitter spokesperson told Motherboard in an email, as per our rules, we're taking action on any private personal information shared in tweets. After the publication of this piece, Twitter Twitter said in uh, in a tweet, we detected what we believe to be a coordinated social engineering attack by people who successfully targeted some of our employees with access to internal systems and tools. How is this possible? Why is this possible? Lock it down. We need we need better cybersecurity than this. Communications infrastructure is paramount for national security. If we're replacing the town center, the water cooler, the church, whatever, the place where we had these discussions, if we're replacing the telephone and the post office, not completely, but if we're replacing that with social media for communications, then we need more security. You know, politicians would send out mailers, right? You get a postcard in the mail and it would say something like, vote for me. Here's what I'm doing. You could get robocalls or campaign phone calls. But then social media got invented and Twitter made it much, much more simple. You could very easily just type in a message, press go, and people can share it around and everyone can see it. This ease and convenience led people to start replacing the traditional means of communication. This is now replacing a large portion of what our telephones and our post office would do. Why is it not secured? Could you imagine if somebody was able to address the world as the president in the Oval Office on camera and people thought it was real? What's the difference? If people look at the verified accounts of these these high ranking individuals, people like Joe Biden, what if Joe Biden announced I'm dropping out? I'm completely dropping out. Yeah, a lot of people would be like, wow, what's this? A lot of people would believe it. A lot of people would hear the news late and not realize. And how many votes would that cost Joe Biden? Stop and think about it. If Joe Biden made an official campaign announcement saying due to failing health that he was dropping out and that the Democrats look forward to you know, appointing a replacement, there's many people you know, currently you know, in the running, people would believe it. They'd absolutely believe it. Now, within minutes, they'd contact Joe Biden's people and he'd say it's not true. 
but there'd be a lot of people who would, who would hear Joe Biden isn't running anymore. And then if that shifts 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 votes, that's a game changer. That would seriously disrupt this can't stand. Here's where it gets worse. Twitter DMs of Obama, Musk, and Biden could have been stolen in the hack, experts warn. Could have been? Could have been? You think these people got access to these accounts and were like, I'm not going to check their DMs. I'm willing to bet the first thing they did once they realized they were in was download every message these people had sent. And as I mentioned before, maybe, maybe not, maybe it won't matter for Biden because they're not going to do national security stuff. But what about Elon Musk? Oh yeah, we're definitely moving forward on production in this date. We originally, we, you know, we just announced this because we're not cleared by the, you know, the SEC or whatever, or the FTC to make these announcements, but here's our plans. What if you were expecting to talk privately with another investor or someone who works with you and you said, yeah, keep this under wraps because we're not legally allowed to announce yet, but we're going to do this. What happens if all these things get published? Let me take you back in time. I got two big stories for you. Syrian hackers claim AP hack that tipped stock market by $136 billion. Is it terrorism? Are you kidding? Of course it is. And so was what happened yesterday. I don't care if it was a Bitcoin scam. You can call it whatever you want. But that was well, that, that was that, that was an attack on our country to have the former president, Barack Obama, and the current presidential candidate, Joe Biden, tweeting these things out. Whether it was a scam or not, they have just told the world we are vulnerable. We can take your accounts and we can change the game. Chinese hackers bypass two-factor authentication and attacks spanning 10 countries from Gizmodo. A Chinese hacking group believed to operate on behalf of the Beijing government has learned how to bypass two-factor authentication in attacks on government and industry targets, ZDNet reported Monday. Well, let's just go to ZDNet for their official. uh, Two-factor authentication, for those that aren't familiar, is when you want to log in, you've got to have your, you you, you get a a text message to your phone. This is clever because it, it makes it much more difficult to just steal someone's password or try and do some kind of phishing scam. Because even if you change the email, you know, even it, it'll say, I don't recognize your computer. You must now get a text message. A lot of people notice this. You'll see them posting about, they'll say, I'm, I'm getting a bunch of uh, messages from people trying to break into my account. When people try and break in your account, you'll start getting a bunch of texts with the pass with a, with a code saying enter the code. There are clever tricks hackers use to bypass this. You'll get a phone call. It'll be from Twitter. It'll literally say Twitter on your phone. It's, a, it's called a spoof. And they'll say something like, you know, we're trying to secure your account. Hackers are trying to break in. We're going to send you a code to verify you are who you are. And we need you to read us that code. Then they try and break in. You think you're talking to Twitter. You read the code. They say, thank you. And they log in. There's other things they can do with SIM card spoofing where they can literally steal your phone number. Now we've moved on to a more clever two-factor, which is authenticators and you know, th- uh, things that exist on private systems. So you will have basically an app on a phone that they can't steal the phone number to that syncs with the clock. And it'll give you a, uh, it'll synchronize based on an algorithm. And then only you have that ever rotating password. It's very, very clever. Don't ever give any of this information away. But bypassing two-factor through a, a technical workaround is fairly sophisticated. ZDNet reported this back in, when was this? December 23rd. They say, security researchers say they found evidence that a Chinese government-linked group has been bypassing two-factor authentication in a recent wave of attacks. The attacks have been attributed to the cybersecurity industry uh, is tracking as, excuse me, APT20, believed to operate on the behest of the Beijing government. Dutch cybersecurity firm Fox IT said in a report published last week, The group's primary targets were government entities and managed services 
service providers like MSPs, the government entities and MSPs were active in fields like aviation, healthcare, finance, insurance, energy, and even something as niche as gambling and physical locks. Now, you get the point. Let's talk about the Bitcoin scam. That may have actually been a sophisticated attack. Maybe not a scam. Think about it. Bitcoin, international value. Many different countries use it. What if they were able to convince hundreds of thousands, millions of people to give up their cash? They were apparently able to get a hundred thousand or more dollars. But what if one percent of this of this country said, "Ooh, I'll give some money," and a tiny fraction of our economy just shifted to an adversary? That would be like in the middle of a war, the U.S. being like, "We've got this truckload of missiles. Give it to China." But sir, we're at war with them. I know. When you transfer that wealth and those resources, that Bitcoin, they can then use that. It's, it's a resource imbalance. I mean, anybody who's played any kind of war simulator, Command and Conquer, Warcraft, understands the value of having this currency. So imagine you're playing one of these games. And, you know, uh, for those that aren't familiar, I'll give you an example. World of Warcraft, uh, not World of Warcraft, regular old Warcraft, old school game. I'm choosing something old in the hopes that most people understand the context. You have little dudes, they mine gold. When you have gold, you can buy more soldiers. Imagine if in the middle of your game, all of your gold transferred to the opponent. You get it. They have the resources to buy whatever they want. Even if it's a tiny fraction, they can take power away from us. So what do we do? Well, considering that Twitter's lying about the amount of power they have, and some random employees at Twitter who have probably no security clearance have the ability to override the accounts of the president. We've seen it before. The vice president, contenders, high-profile politicians. Perhaps now Twitter has become such an absurd national security threat. The federal government needs to intervene in some capacity. Perhaps anybody who's running this administrative panel needs to have some kind of security clearance. Some, and, and we need to double down, triple down, quadruple down on how hard it is to access these systems. I don't have all the answers, man. I don't know for sure. What I can tell you is we can't just carry on like nothing's happening. This just showed us how fragile everything is and how we can be, man, look at the riots that erupted because of uh, the, the George Floyd incident. Across the country, people were burning down their own cities. Imagine what could be said by Barack Obama, by Donald Trump, by Joe Biden, by Ted Cruz, by Josh Hawley, by Elon Musk, by Joe Rogan, by me. That could spark widespread chaos and panic. Now, I think to be fair, if my account tweeted something insane, people might believe it, but not that, not enough to trigger something chaotic. If Donald Trump tweeted something, it could. What if it took over his account and Donald Trump tweeted, you know, the election is being shut down. I'm invoking presidential directive 51 to, you know, launch a new constitutional government under my coordination. And then Joe Biden tweeted out, we've been locked out of national security protocols. Then you get another politician saying Donald Trump is really doing it. He seized control. This is happening. We need action now. What would happen if just three or four accounts? Yeah. People would go out in the streets. They'd be riding in chaos. And what could they do? Jack Dorsey got locked out. They got locked out for hours. And every journalist got locked out too. Okay, the blue check ones. But then you have chaos from, so, so man, this is crazy. I can think of this stuff off the top of my head. Think about it. Donald Trump tweets out, we're seizing the government. It's ours now. Directive 51. If you don't know what Directive 51 is, that's when the president can actually overwrite the government, make a new one. 
Then you get Biden saying, you know, Trump is making the move. We need help. We're calling on national military leaders to strike back. Jack Dorsey's locked out. He can't tweet. All the journalists can't tweet. They shut everything down. But the hackers are able to get a few verified tweets out saying it's happening, a coup. The United States is under siege. Armed, you know, armed personnel have just stormed the White House. People go crazy. The stock market crashes. Then all of a sudden, they didn't just hack verified accounts. Jack Dorsey locks down verified accounts. But then, boom, the unverified accounts start tweeting out crazy things like, I'm here in D.C. I'm seeing it. I can't believe this is happening. There's no journalists in sight. No one has any idea what's going on. But the the tweets are flying wild. That could be done in a matter of minutes. And we learned that yesterday. We cannot play games. Lock it down. I'll leave it there. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. Maybe we'll have more developments. I'll let you know. And I'll see you all then. I have to issue a warning on this video. It's going to be extremely disturbing. And based on the fact that you've clicked it, you've seen the headline, you probably know what this is about. And it's entirely possible YouTube just outright deletes this. But this story comes from the Los Angeles Times. It would seem, according to a new lawsuit, that the L.A. County Juvenile Hall system is experimenting on young boys with some kind of twisted, forced gender transition. They're injecting children with female hormones. I say children, but this is a teenager, 16 years old. So I know some people might argue semantics. Now, I say some kind of weird forced gender transition because doctors don't understand why they are injecting female hormones into these young boys. It doesn't quite make sense. It's not part of any medical treatment. It literally just doesn't make sense. And according to the suit, it appears it's more than just this one boy. Now, I want to point out, too, because of the nature of the current political discourse and how media companies deal with issues of gender transition. We may be confused about what's really going on here, and we're going to have to make some assumptions. The first assumption we're going to have to make is that when they say boy, they are talking about a human male. It's entirely possible the Los Angeles Times, notably being Los Angeles, they're actually talking about a human female who identifies as male or as a boy. But we'll get to that part of this discussion after the fact. Let's read this story. Under the presumption, they are talking about a juvenile hall full of young males. And this lawsuit alleges that they are injecting young boys with some kind of experimental forced gender transition treatment. The LA Times says, boy, 16, was given estrogen for behavioral disorder while an LA juvenile hall, juvenile hall suit alleges. I also want to point out, this is a lawsuit. Okay, so we don't know... Uh, I don't know if the LA Times has confirmed the details. It could, you know, allegations are often made made in lawsuits and we don't know necessarily if they're true, they're allegations. But here's the story. A 16-year-old boy being held at a Los Angeles County Juvenile Hall developed enlarged breasts after he was prescribed estrogen to treat a behavioral disorder, a move that baffled doctors who said the treatment defied medical logic, according to a lawsuit filed this month. The teen whose identity is being withheld because of his age, was diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder or ODD two days after he was arrested and housed at East Lake Juvenile Hall in June 2019. The lawsuit said medical records reviewed by the Times showed the teen's testosterone levels were slightly high when the doctor who who diagnosed him prescribed daily doses of estrogen. So it would seem the LA Times has confirmed this by viewing the medical records. According to the lawsuit, this young boy said they were not given a choice, that they were they were threatened 
with imprisonment until the age potentially of 18, 23 or 26. Do as you're told or else. He was told he could not refuse the injections. Let's read more. They say, estrogen regulates the development of female sexual characteristics and reproduction. Men produce the hormone at much lower levels. After taking approximately 13 daily doses of the hormones, the teen was diagnosed with gynecomastia, defined as the enlargement or swelling of breast tissue in males whose estrogen levels is too high, medical records show. It is based on that part of the story. I believe we are literally talking about a young male who is forced to undergo some kind of gender transition therapy. And again, the reason why I'm saying gender transition is because the doctors say there's no medical reason. It's baffling them as to why they would be injecting testo- uh, I'm sorry, injecting estrogen into a young boy, prescribing them with estrogen. You know what that would do to him. ODD, a behavioral, uh, yes, uh, a behavioral condition that is sometimes suffered by patients with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, is normally treated with therapy said James McCough, a professor of clinical psychiatry at UCLA or McGo. I don't know how to pronounce it. McGo, it seems. McGough. Welcome to English. Estrogen is not a treatment for ODD. I can't be more emphatic about that. You won't find a reference anywhere that supports the use of estrogen for ODD. Why were they injecting? They've made up a fake reason. I've got the lawsuit The lawsuit claims that they believe it's actually worse than just this one boy. The lawsuit described the treatment as experimental. The doctor who prescribed the estrogen, Danny Wang, could not be reached for comment. Los Angeles County's juvenile detention facilities are overseen by the the probation department. Medical needs are provided by juvenile court health services, which falls under the County Department of Health Services. In an email, a Department of Health Services representative confirmed that Wang has been employed by the county since 2012, but declined to comment on his current status with the agency, describing it as a confidential personnel matter. The department declined to comment on the lawsuit. The suit, which names as defendants the county, Wang and David O, medical director of juvenile court health services, alleges medical battery and negligence. Probation officials and the teen's attorney, Wesley Auchi, declined to say why he was in custody. Ouchie said the boy, now 17, was released in April and will require surgery to treat the physical issues he developed as a result of the estrogen treatment. Wang prescribed a daily regimen of two milligrams of estrogen to be taken in pill form, according to medical records. The boy's parents were not aware that he had been diagnosed with ODD or was undergoing treatment until late July 2019. Doctors said the treatment should not have been carried out without the parents' consent. So once again, the LA Times appears to have reviewed the medical records. They were giving this young boy estrogen for seemingly no reason. That's why, again, I will say some kind of twisted experimental gender transition forced upon a young boy. The parents didn't know about it. And the boy was told he would not be allowed to refuse. The boy's father, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to protect his son's identity, said he found out about the estrogen pills when he visited the juvenile hall one weekend last July. When I found out they were giving him the pill, I was like, why didn't they ask me? When I found out what kind of pill it was, uh, what kind of pill was it? I was like, this is terrible. He's only 16 and they were forcing him to take it. The father said he later confronted O, the medical director, over the phone. O admitted that Wang had made a mistake, the father said. The health services representative declined to comment on O's alleged remark due to the ongoing litigation. 
The treatment stopped last July after the teen began to complain of negative side effects and refused medication. Records show. Prior to that, Ouchie said his client felt compelled to take the pills because he feared that disobeying Wang would have a detrimental effect on his pending criminal case. Reports from probation officers about a youth's time in custody can carry significant weight at sentencing hearings. And the teen's case had not been adjudicated at the time Wang prescribed him the estrogen, Ouchie said. Ouchie also alleges the boy was bullied by other youths in custody once his gynecomastia symptoms developed. As a teenager, he felt self-conscious already. Going through these changes made it a lot more traumatic for him. This, to me, sounds like they were conducting some kind of experiment. They knew what would happen if they gave him this, if they gave him estrogen. They knew there would be other boys. It sounds like they wanted to see the social and physical effects of what would happen if they forced upon somebody. Maybe, maybe they have criminally delinquent young, young men. And maybe they were trying to experiment to see if forced gender transition would reduce their severity, their aggression, reduce the symptoms of this behavior. It's not a medical treatment. Therapy is. But look what they're doing. Sarah Coffey, director of child and adolescent psychiatry at Oklahoma State University, said ODD is normally diagnosed in children between the ages of six and 12. Children diagnosed with the disorder often struggle with authority in school or in social settings. Common treatments include family therapy or medications that have had success in aiding juveniles with ADHD, including Ritalin and Adderall. Using hormones to treat ODD might actually worsen the situation, Kofi said. No, it sounds to me like they needed an excuse to justify why they were conducting this strange experiment and forcing this child to take hormones. They say, the other concern I have as a psychiatrist is that we know hormones play a role in mood. If his mood got disrupted, that could only further complicate things. Estrogen is normally stocked at L.A. County juvenile facilities for use as part of hormone therapy for contraception and treatment of gender dysphoria, according to the health services representative. The boy's father said the hormone therapy has long had uh, has had a long term effect on his son, who now scares easily and has become antisocial. He's like a different person. He just wants to be in his room. And he don't come out for nothing all day in his room, the father said. He was never like that. I have the full complaint here. It was posted by Witness LA. I can't, I can't tell you what, what they, what they were, were, were trying to do, what they are trying to do. But this to me is, is rather terrifying. And I wonder if this has something to do with the pervasiveness of this far left fringe religion, whatever you want to call it, which is now infecting the military the federal government, critical race theory, these other ideologies, they are potentially destroying the fabric of our society. Now, listen, if somebody actually has, you know, uh, 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 some kind of dysphoria or something that needs to be treated with hormones, well, then by all means, the doctor should prescribe legitimate treatments. But as we're learning from the story, the doctor is saying it's not. Why would they be doing it? Well, according to the family, they think it's an experiment. I wonder what for. We won't know. Now, in this lawsuit, it looks like they're they're suing the county of Los Angeles, Danny Wang, MD, David O, MD, and Doe's one through 100, because it wasn't just the doctors who were doing this. It was the medical staff. It was the nurses. According to the suit, he was in a room and, and the nurse told him that it was just to treat a node on his chest. It was medicine to help him because something was wrong. When he said he didn't want to take it, the officer there at the juvenile hall said he didn't have a choice and he had to do it. 
These people conspired to inject a child without his consent or his parents' consent with an experimental treatment for some reason. And we don't know why, because ODD does not get treated this way. Now, I'm not a doctor, but I'm just reading you the LA Times. Now, they're saying medical battery, interference with constitutional rights by threat, right to privacy from intrusion of bodily integrity, negligence, right to due process of bodily integrity municipal and supervise, uh, supervi- supervisorial liability demand for a jury trial. There may be other young men who, have, who are going through this. Think about that. And they're not saying anything. They're scared. This young man apparently has to go through uh, surgery. Now, when I tweeted about this, about how shocking and, and, and horrifying this is, some people made a very interesting point. You may, you, may, you may be familiar with the redheaded libertarian on Twitter. She has a decent Twitter following. And she said she wasn't sure if they were referring to a person. I'll, I'll just simplify the language because I'm not going to play any games. Are they referring to a male or a female? In media, we've already seen this. If an individual identifies in, in a certain way, the media will use the pronouns of how they identify, not their actual biological sex. Now, in this story, it's extremely important we know think about it this way. What if this young boy is actually born, was actually born female and identifies as male? Upon going to treatment, the doctor realizes that this female has high testosterone. The female identifying as a boy is then forced to take estrogen. You see how, how different the story is, but we don't know. Now, if they're going to claim gynecomastia, and the requirements for surgery, then I think it's fair to say this is very likely to be a male, but we don't know. And that's how dangerous this, this intersectionalism is getting. Our understanding of the world is going to be disrupted. If it turns out this was actually a trans child born female, and the doctor was actually like just disregarding that, it's an entirely different story. Nonetheless, it's still horrifying someone not being allowed to choose whether or not they can be, for, you know, they're, they're forcing this, this medication on somebody. Man. So they, they talk about jurisdiction and venue, compensation and damages, parties and actors. Let's scroll down. Facts common on all accounts. They say the minor was medically treated by doctors without obtaining voluntary and informed consent. The male youth. Okay. So it is male. It is male. Was administered a female hormone estrogen without first obtaining voluntary and informed consent. The Doe medical staff did not allow the male minor to refuse to take female hormone estrogen. They actually go on to say the minor, this individual, was scared. If he got a bad mark and he went to court, they would hold it against him. So he just did as he was told. It wasn't until he started getting mocked, belittled, and started growing female breasts did he actually resist and say no, he wouldn't, he wouldn't move on. But I'm, I'm going down now to the, the most important part that's not mentioned in the LA Times. They say, The male minor developed female breast tissue and suffered psychological and emotional damages. The minor was given an experimental medical treatment, which was administered to other minors at the juvenile hall. Now, this is where it gets crazy. Plaintiff further alleges that defendants Danny Wang, MD, David O, MD, and Doe's 1 through 100 prescribed the estrogen as an experimental treatment for plaintiff's oppositional defiant disorder in order to counteract the elevated levels of testosterone in his body, which may be associated with increased delinquency in male youths. Plaintiff further alleges that administering a female hormone or estrogen to a male youth at juvenile hall is not an accepted, safe, or supported form of medical treatment for oppositional defiant disorder, as we understand. I'm looking for the part where 
it looks like they're they're doing it to others. Plaintiff further alleges that this experimental treatment has been or is being given to male youths within the county of Los Angeles, juvenile courts, juvenile halls, and juvenile detention facilities without first obtaining their voluntary and informed consent in order to address symptoms of ODD, criminality, and delinquency. And there it is. I think we understand what's going on. According to this suit, they're alleging, at least it sounds like it, this experiment is, is, is being undertaken on many other young, young males. And it seems like they're doing it as an experiment to see if it would reduce delinquency, criminality. Why, maybe one of the ways to stop young men from committing crimes and acting out against authority is to inject them with female hormones, which forces some kind of weird gender transition, or I don't know what you'd call it. That's what they're suing for. They then, they then move on for the counts, you know, citing medical battery and stuff. What we're seeing across this country in these institutions seems to be some kind of weird intersectionalism. Now, or I should just say it is intersectionalism and intersectionalism is weird. Part of this is this kind of anyone can assert any identity, you know, uh, idea. In this case, it may just be perverse doctors with a weird twisted idea on their right to conduct experiments on children. It may have nothing to do with this. But what I'm worried about is that these ideas that we see from critical race theory to, you know, critical gender theory, all a part of intersectionalism, are finding their way into the government. And these people have no, no qualms about violating your rights in any capacity. If people don't speak up, if you don't start talking about it and calling this out, it's going to get worse. This is the most frustrating story. This is not about the violation of your right to speak. This is not about cancel culture. This is about someone's child being forcefully injected with female hormones. And now his life is irrevocably, uh, uh, is just permanently altered. Perhaps surgery can help. But this estrogen has already permanently altered this individual's life, their mind, their body. You think that you'll be safe. I'll keep my head down. My children will be safe. We don't know why he got arrested. Let me give you a story. You're worried about your kids. So you don't want to speak up and start calling these things out, speaking out against them. You don't want to call out cancel culture or the fringe intersectionalism that's infecting the federal government to the highest levels, the military, because you want to stay safe. One day, your 12-year-old, 14-year-old son is out playing with some friends and they're trespassing just trespassing. But they're trespassing on some pretty serious property. Maybe they're playing down by the, by the, by the railroad tracks. Kids, you know, they, they walk around. Maybe they enter onto some kind of government facility and they get arrested. Immediately transferred to a juvenile facility awaiting adjudication. While they're there, the doctor decides, I don't know anything about this child. I'm not going to contact their parents. I'm going to inject them with estrogen and see what happens. You don't know. And then one day you found, find out it is your kid who now has to get surgery to undo the effects of this experimental psychotic medical battery, whatever you want to call it. Was keeping your head down worth it? Was it worth it to say, I'd rather have food on the table? Or is this the future that you want? Now, look, it's one story. OK, keep that in mind. It's one story. But what's disconcerting to me is the expansion of intersectionalism 
throughout the federal government. Take a look at this Twitter thread. Christopher F. Rufo. Critical race theory is spreading rapidly through the federal government. Last week, a whistleblower sent me a trove of documents about a divisive diversity training at the Treasury Department. What I discovered is deeply disturbing and an affront to equality. He says the training is called Difficult Conversations About Race and calls on white employees at Treasury, the Federal Reserve, the FDIC, the CFPB, the NCUA to pledge allyship amid the George Floyd tragedy. The goal is to convert everyone in the federal government to anti-racism. Now I know racism and gender stuff, they're not the same thing, but they fall under the same umbrella. The SJWs, as it were, the intersectionalists adhere to both of these theories. And we see it now at the federal government level. And we see it in the army. Army investigates handouts, handouts suggesting Trump campaign slogans are covert white supremacy. Covert white supremacy, saying things like denying white privilege, saying things like um, uh, housing discrimination is, is, is white supremacy. What does it say? A paternalism, believing in meritocracy. That's it. That's it. There's, there's so much in this. That's just, uh, but what about me saying all lives matter? Racial profiling, of course, is racist. Denial of racism, tokenism, English-only initiatives, self-appointed white ally. There's literally nothing you can do. Exceptionalism. You're so articulate. Celebration of Columbus Day. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna read any worse. Property taxes for education. Yep. Property taxes for education is white supremacy. Now, to be fair, and I want to make this very, very clear. Crazy things happen. And so I don't want to make it seem like this is going to sweep the nation and take over and all our kids are going to be lobotomized or some crazy thing like this. No, what I'm saying is this story is one story in L.A. County. It's one lawsuit. They're allegations. To what extent it's really going on? I don't know. Seems like the L.A. Times has confirmed he was being given estrogen for no reason. And doctors are baffled why, why it happened. OK, things like this happen. We call it out. We hold these people accountable. And maybe it's not as bad as we think. My concern is that intersectionalism is pervasive and it's in every facet of government. And these these beliefs, these over, they overlap. That's why you need to speak out. Not because I'm trying to say that this right now is everywhere. Ah, your kids. Oh, no. No, I'm saying is that these things happen and they can get worse unless we demand accountability and we say no to these things. The culture war is going on. The culture war is being is, is being fought right now by many people. I'm not saying, you know, you need to go out there and, and, and scream as loud as you can. I'm just saying voice your opinions. That's it. Go on social media. When you're at work, say no to these things. Call them out. Talk about these stories and say these are not good things. Otherwise, otherwise they can get worse. And when it comes to critical race theory, this stuff has really, really become pervasive. If these ideas, critical gender theory, become as pervasive, don't be surprised if it just... Uh, reaches every level of government as well. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at timcast.net. That's my main channel. I have a video up at 4 p.m. and I will see you all then. I can't breathe. I don't, I don't want to, I don't think it's fair necessarily to say that this guy is a Black Lives Matter protester, but they're certainly a Black Lives Matter supporter. Suspect wearing I can't breathe t-shirt wanted for shooting and killing a man in Northeast D.C., this does not do anything for the phrase Black Lives Matter, for the cause, for the movement. It only makes things worse. But I, I think it's things like this that are leading to another big part of the story, the massive uptick in gun sales. 
But I want to lead with what this story is, what it represents. Does it really matter? And I want to talk about this DHS statement. I believe it's uh, Secretary, Acting Secretary Wolf condemns the rampant, long-lasting violence in Portland and how this is leading to, or what it's doing to the American psyche. But first, let's just, let's just read the story. They say, a search is underway Tuesday for a suspect who was wanted for the deadly shooting of a man a day ago in Northeast Washington. Photos released by investigators show a suspect wearing a mask and an I can't breathe t-shirt with black pants and holding a gun. Officers responded to the report of a shooting Monday in the 3900 block of Clay Place. Police found 27-year-old Sanquia Whitley suffering from gunshot wounds. Whitley died at the scene of the shooting and was transported to the office of the chief medical examiner. Metropolitan police are asking anyone with information on this shooting to call and they have, you know, more information. Here's the photo. Here's the photo. Obviously, there are a lot of people who are going to share this around and they're going to go a little bit more hyperbolic than I would with it. A little, well, I, maybe that's not the, not the right word, but they're going to be yelling like, this is it. This is Black Lives Matter and stuff. It's certainly a supporter. It certainly is. It doesn't look good. And I think that says something to what people think when they when they protest, what they really care about. And perhaps there are many people, I'm not going to pretend to know how many, who don't actually care about what the cause is supposed to represent. They care about the power they gain from it. This is an individual who, for whatever reason, just wanted to kill somebody. And, and, and he's probably got a dumb reason. I don't think there's ever, any, there's ever a good reason to kill somebody. But it shows you that this isn't just a movement of people who are out there demanding justice. There's exploiters. And you have to make sure you call them out. That's basically why I want to do this. Not as an overt, hard condemnation to try and play some stupid game where I'm like, aha, that proves it. No, it's to say, I'm not going to let this one slide. All right. You want to have your protest movement. You want to fight for a good cause. I get it. That's okay. Now, I think there's a lot of people who are, who are trying to squeeze their way in and push some strange ideologies. And they've essentially co-opted Black Lives Matter. That's, that's for sure. But I'm not going to let this one slide. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure you call out the bad, you know, the, the, the bad people and not give an excuse to anybody. You got it. You got it. You got to call it out. And I'm going to call it out too in Portland. Acting Secretary Wolf condemns the rampant, long-lasting violence in Portland. What is this? 47 straight days. There's a video I just watched. It's it's incredible. Officer uh, Jackson, I believe he might be he might be a more uh, higher ranking officer than that. But there's a Portland police officer, a black man, and he's talking about how how crazy it is. You know, he has this this young woman come up to him and she's black and she's asking him what he thinks. And she says, why don't you talk to us? And he's like, every time I try to every time I try to talk, a white person comes up and shuts us down. And right when he says it, a white woman comes up and gets in the way and starts yelling. And the black woman says, he said he was, that you were going to do this. He said this was going to happen. He, he says, you look at these neighborhoods where they go and riot. And the first building they destroy is a black owned business. That's right, man. You got to call out the bad ones. And you know what? I think too many people in high ranking, you know, high profile positions within the Black Lives Matter movement won't call it out because they don't want to draw attention to the negative things that are happening because of their cause. Well, you cannot do that, man. You got to call it out. Check this out. Secretary Wolf says the city of Portland has been under siege for 47 straight days by a violent mob, while local political leaders refuse to restore order to protect the city. Each night, lawless anarchists destroy and desecrate property, including the federal courthouse, and attack the brave law enforcement officers protecting it. A federal courthouse is a symbol of justice. To attack it is to attack America. Instead of addressing violent criminals in their communities, local and state leaders are instead focusing on placing blame on law enforcement and requesting fewer officers in their community. This failed response has only emboldened the violent mob 
as it escalates violence day after day. And how does that help the cause? It doesn't. And why won't local leaders do anything about it? Because they don't care. That's why I talk about this stuff. The siege can end if state and local officials decide to take appropriate action instead of refusing to enforce the law. DHS will not abdicate its solemn duty to protect federal facilities and those within them. Again, I reiterate the department's offer to assist local and state leaders to bring an end to the violence, violence perpetrated by anarchists. Below is a snapshot of the lawless destruction and violence of the past several weeks. The Department of Homeland Security and its subcomponents of Immigration and Customs Enforcement, Customs and Border Protection, and the Federal Protective Service have faced this. I can't, I can't even read you this stuff. This is insane. You need to call this out. Don't protect it. Don't defend it. Don't let them co-opt your movement if you stand by it in the way you say you do. This is insane. Look at all this. I love how they keep saying violent anarchists over and over again. You know what? I take, I take great offense to that. The idea of a violent anarchist is almost paradoxical. Now, I get what they're trying to say, but in the true philosophy of anarchy, come on, man. Right-wing anarchists, ANCAPs, you know, libertarian types, they have the non-aggression principle. They're not going to get violent with you. Maybe, maybe in self-defense, you can argue that it's only as a response. Left-wing anarchists, in the truest sense, are hippies living on a farm with their buddies or in a commune in, a, in, a, in, a, in an abandoned building or something. These people are violent authoritarians. That's the difference. I don't, I don't care if you want to call them commies or whatever. What they're doing is authoritarianism. They have banded together to subject other people to their will through force. You can't get more authoritarian than that. That's literally what they're asserting their authority over you with violence. Call it out. So stop calling them anarchists, but you can see that the DHS is, is demanding these local leaders do something and they won't. And that's, and again, I'm going to throw it back to this, this story right here. That's literally why I just open with this. I can't breathe. Call this man out. Tell him to take off your shirt. Tell him you, you don't want this. I'm willing to bet none of the high-profile Black Lives Matter supporters would say something about it. I routinely talk about free speech for the left as much as I do for the, well, maybe not as much as I do for the right because the stories on the right are substantially more common. Right-wing people tend to get uh, censored way more than the left does. But I, I, I get frustrated whenever I see these people say, we're the free speech warriors to defend us as we condemn Israel. And I'm like, I'll, right here, got no problem. Hey, your free speech should not be violated for everybody. And I'll tell you what happens now. For now, what, the fourth or, you know, whatever straight month, record numbers of Americans try to buy guns. Buyers and gun store owners cite the coronavirus pandemic, George Floyd's killing and efforts to defund the police. This is what you get. You know why guns are flying off the shelves? Because these people don't believe that you're in it for justice. I'm sorry, they don't. Now, the coronavirus pandemic, I get. People are like, hey, man, lawlessness and chaos is entirely possible when a, pan when a pandemic hits. But when it comes to Black Lives Matter, do people think that you are a noble cause seeking to bring justice to save lives? This is your proof that the answer is no. Now, of course, we had the economist YouGov poll. We had several other polls showing that popular, uh, that most people view all lives matter positively and most people view all lives matter uh, less. Well, I shouldn't say a plurality of people, I'll just give you the hard numbers. It's like 40 something percent say Black Lives Matter is positive and 53% say All Lives Matter is positive. The reason I want to say most people view it as negative because it's mostly neutral. It is. But these are the numbers you get. The people who view All Lives Matter positively should tell you something, that your, your echo chamber on social media for your activism is not America. America are the people rushing to gun stores in liberal districts and liberal jurisdictions to buy guns. 
Because when they see Black Lives Matter, they see riots. When they see a person going out the street wearing, I can't breathe the gun, killing somebody, they see people who don't actually care about true justice. They see stories about people like David Dorn, a retired police, I believe he was a captain, who was shot and killed over some TVs because he was trying to, he was, he was responding to a call about looting at, a, at, a, at his buddy's pawn shop. Those are the stories they see. So long as, as the Black Lives Matter people don't outright condemn this level of violence, Portland, for instance, you're going to get people who don't trust you. And that's, that's unfortunate. While I certainly think critical race theory is bad, I think the critical gender theory, theory stuff is all bad as well. I think it's fine if you want to exercise your First Amendment rights. And hey, if you speak up and you win, there you go. That's how democracy works, right? If people don't want to speak up and speak out against this, and so be it. The problem now, though, is the violence. If they're not going to call it out, do I just assume they support it? Perhaps. I don't think it's entirely fair to say they do. But I think we've seen enough violence to recognize they'll at least ignore it or respect a diversity of tactics, as they would tell me all those years ago, but during, during Occupy Wall Street. If that's the case, don't be surprised when Americans rush to the gun store and start buying up crazy numbers of guns. I know I did. And why did I do it? My reasoning? Because with the defunding of the police and with these violent mobs and cancel culture, I'm not convinced that I'm going to be safe in my own cult- society, in my own community, because you don't know what people are willing to stand up for or against. If a dude's going to walk out with a gun wearing an I can't breathe shirt and shoot somebody, you, you think that I'm going to assume that, that, that if a violent mob shows up at my house, you're going to defend me because it's just? No, you're not. You're going to say, I don't know. I don't know who that guy is. Don't, mind, don't bother me. I'm going to keep my head down and let them do their thing. The people who are going out and buying weapons are doing it because they recognize that for 47 straight days, Portland has been under siege. And the news doesn't cover it, but these people recognize what's happening. Why aren't the leaders of Black Lives Matter coming out right now and condemning this, saying it's time for people in Portland to go home? Because they either don't care or they don't want to look bad, I guess. Well, they look worse because of it. I'm not going to blame them for the violence, but I'm going to say you got to at least speak up against it. Otherwise, Americans will lose faith. They won't believe in your cause. And you know what? I guess, hey, if that's what your cause is, maybe it's a good thing. But whatever. You get the point. I'll leave it. I'll leave it there. I got a couple more segments in a few minutes. Stick around and I will see you all shortly. Recently, Nick Cannon, the high profile host and personality, he's on the, the was it the mask singer? Uh, he's on uh, Teen Nick or something. He went on a vile racist and anti-Semitic tirade on his YouTube podcast. Following his most insane claims, he was severed from his Viacom CBS position. Nick Cannon will stay on The Masked Singer after issuing an apology for anti-Semitism. Wow. You want to know why this story is so shocking? Because Nick Cannon said that white people were lesser. He said that they were vile savages and a bunch of other things that would get anyone terminated from literally any position. You could be you could be a panhandler and you'd lose your job if he said those things about any other race. But Nick Cannon will keep his job after apologizing over anti-Semitism. Wait, 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 wait. That okay, fine, good. I'm glad he apologized for that. But what about all the other stuff he said about white people? That's okay? Wow. That's so that's that's mind blowing. Hey, at least I think you'd get banned from Facebook if he said it. Is YouTube going to ban him for saying it? Probably not. They banned Stefan Molyneux, though. Again, I. <laughs> hey, hey, there you go. Vanity Fair says Nick Cannon will remain the host of Fox's The Masked Singer. The network announced Wednesday, one day after Viacom CVS severed ties with the TV star for making anti-Semitic remarks on his podcast. Cannon, who apologized to the Jewish community on Wednesday, 
also issued a second statement the same night, apologizing for spreading hateful propaganda and stereotypical rhetoric. I extend my deepest and most sincere apologies to my Jewish sisters and brothers for the hurtful and divisive words that came out of my mouth during my interview with Richard Griffin. He wrote on Facebook and Twitter. Fox issued a statement of its own, noting that the network immediately began a dialogue with Nick after his anti-Semitic remarks went viral. You know, what's funny. This is what's a, what should happen to everybody. Anybody who makes an offensive or racist comment or joke should have this kind of apology moment so we can all learn and move on. They don't do that, though. Roseanne lost her show. Megyn Kelly got fired. Nick Cannon apologizes. Let's, uh, let's have a single standard. How about that? He is clear and remorseful that his words were wrong and lacked both understanding and context and inadvertently promoted hate. Inadvertently. You know what, man? This is important for us to observe. Nick has sincerely apologized and quickly taken steps to educate himself and make amends. On that basis, and given a belief that this, this moment calls for dialogue, we will move forward with Nick and help him advance this important conversation broadly. Fox condemns all forts of hate, of hate directed toward any community, and we, have, uh, and we will combat bigotry of any kind. You know what? I call BS. I call BS on this. Let me show you what's really going down. Charlemagne the God says that Nick Cannon's firing over anti-Semitic comments proves he thinks, wow, he says it, it proves the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. I'll put it that way. This, this, this is, this is, I don't know, man. I don't know what else to say about this. For those that are listening, Charlemagne the God believes that the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories espoused by, say, like the Nation of Islam and black identity extremists, black Hebrew Israelites, He's, he's, he's arguing that they must be true because Nick Cannon got fired over it. Let me tell you something, Nick Cannon. I'm, I'm sorry, Charlemagne. He didn't get fired from Fox. Your stupid conspiracies are just, are just that. They're stupid. But why are they allowed to just be overt, overt for, uh, just overly hateful and bigoted and push this kind of stuff with no repercussion in general? You know what, man? Cancel culture is real, but it's not about celebrities who have money and power. It's about small, you know, a smaller profile, lower profile individuals who work regular old jobs and they'll say something non, you know, irrelevant and they'll lose their job because of it. It's about people like Nick Cannon getting to say whatever he wants and not get fired. So no, Charlemagne the God, you're wrong. Cannon is a host and executive producer on The Masked Singer. A singing, so, so that's probably the real issue. He's an executive producer. They probably can't get rid of him. He is also set to headline the syndicated daytime talk show, Nick Cannon, which prior to con- the controversy was slated to, pr- to premiere this September on CBS and Fox affiliates. It's unclear if any changes have been made in the wake of the scandal. All right, you know what, man? As if I was going to watch this guy in the first place. This is the, this is the double standard in all of this stupid cancel culture stuff. Nick Cannon said some truly vile things. Remember Sarah Jong? She worked for the New York Times, and she for years engaged in vile racist comments against white people. When people started calling out the New York Times for hiring her. They said, oh, you know, but uh, these were made to, 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 you know, to, to reverse the hate or something like that. Twitter said we would ban her, but, you know, she said these things before we had these rules. Okay, you're going to ban them now? You're going to ban Nick Cannon's YouTube channel for saying it now? Yeah, they're not going to do it. I, I really doubt he'll see any kind of real repercussion. I guess Viacom CBS fired him. They forced him to apologize, but I can't even I can't even read what he said. I, I, I can't even read what he said. I can't read what Charlemagne the God said. You know why? 
Because I recognize that on YouTube, there are double standards. If I tell you what Nick Cannon said, I will probably be banned. If I tell you what Charlemagne the God said, if I read his quote, I'd probably get banned. And here we are. How, are we, how am I supposed to condemn their bigotry and their racism and their anti-Semitism if I can't even say it? I honestly don't know. But guess what? I'm a dude on YouTube and I fight every day to, you know, I work hard. I build up these channels and every day there's a risk that YouTube will just snap their fingers and Thanos my channels. Boom, gone. What do they do? They do whatever they want. That's power. That's what real power is. I walk on eggshells. So does every other YouTuber worried that one day you will get purged. Nick Cannon can say vile, anti-Semitic and racist comments and he gets a deal on Fox and Fox says, nah, he's good. He can say whatever he wants. That's the double standard. And that's the problem with cancel culture. I think most people are scared of cancel culture. And this is Trump's opportunity. This is what Cook Political said. I believe it was Cook. That if Trump embraces, you know, calls this stuff out, regular people might actually respond to it because this is what is worrisome. You can't allow this double standard to persist. When Bill de Blasio says no protests allowed except for Black Lives Matter. When you have 47 days of Antifa, far leftists attacking Portland and attacking law enforcement, but under the guise of Black Lives Matter, no one calls them out. Something needs to be done, right? They, not, they, they mentioned that Viacom cut him off. They said in his second apology posted on Twitter and Facebook, Cannon said he had spoken to Jewish leaders like Ra- Rabbi Abraham Cooper of the, of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, I mean, rights organization. While the Jewish experience encompasses more than 5,000 years and there is so much I have yet to learn, I have at least a minor history lesson over the past few days and to say that it, uh, that it is eye-opening would be a vast understatement. I want to assure my Jewish friends, new and old, this is only the beginning of my education. I am committed to deeper connections, more profound learning, and strengthening the bond between our two cultures today and every day going forward. You know what? But I am, I am I'm still happy with that. You know why? At least he is being exposed to ideas and to people who will break him from this weird conspiracy mindset. Maybe now he really will back away from these fringe ideologies. And that's what we really need. When you've got someone who believes anything that's crazy, be it fringe intersectionalism or these weird intimate conspiracy theories, you need to use the position they're in to guide them. All right. I'll, I'll give you an example, man. I talked about this way, way back in the day when Sargon of Akkad got banned from Patreon. But when these companies put forth rules Here's what is socially acceptable. Banning someone, firing someone, canceling someone is the last thing you should do. Cancel culture ensures their only opportunity is to double down on everything they're saying and find a community somewhere else, find some support somewhere else. If they say to Nick Cannon, don't say this stuff ever again or you're out, he'll say, okay. And he won't say it ever again, right? Congratulations, they've won. That's the real strategy towards changing his, his mind and his mentality. If they fired him, what would he do? He would start preaching to those who believed, believed in what he was saying. He would find that audience and double down on his insane worldview. It's the only way to actually change things is to bring people together. And that's the problem of cancel culture and why we need to keep calling it out. I'll call it the double standard, man. I'm not happy about it. I think what Nick Cannon said was gross. What needs to happen now is that anybody who makes a mistake should be given the opportunity to have one of these learning moments like he did. My only concern is it's not what's going to happen. And they're going to use these kind of learning moments as a way to justify the fact that they can get away with with being overtly bigoted and racist. And I mean, the left leftists can get away with this. 
But conservatives walk on eggshells every single day. And not only that, moderates, intellectual dark web types, the politically homeless. Jordan Peterson was smeared as alt-right for years. And the dude's nothing alt-right. They don't like the guy. But that's what the media will do to you. And they will, will, will say whatever they want with impunity. Okay, not so much. I mean, he still had to apologize. But the dude's rich. He's famous, successful. Do you think people will be inspired to actually believe what they have to say if this is how the game is played? There are people, there was one story I saw, I think it was from Robbie, Robbie Suave. He was like a mute museum curator and he was asked something and he said he was going to collect art from white people. They fired him or he was forced to resign or something. That's how insane all of this has become. So I, I, I got mixed emotions on this one. I'm sure, you know, deep down, I'd love to see Nick Cannon be fired for saying all these things to have his channels banned for being racist, but I don't want that to happen. The only problem is they're, it, it's, it's, they're not going to ban the left when they do it, creating a lopsided political discourse. Section 230 reform, I'll put it that way. That's what we need. I'll leave it there. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. This may be the end of the Electoral College as we know it. A Supreme Court ruling just about a week ago opened the door for the National Popular Vote Coalition to go into effect in the majority opinion, stating that if a state says y'all got to vote for the person we want, they could change the way the Electoral College functions. There's only one thing standing in their way. They need one simple act of Congress. So it would seem if the Democrats get the House and the Senate at the same time, at least a super, a super majority or all three branches, they could pass congressional approval for the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact, solidifying it. And that's it. There you go. The Electoral College is just a figment, just a memory at that point. Check out the story from Real Clear Politics. They say, high court opens the door to Electoral College subversion. They go on to mention that here's the background. Most states appoint a state of electors selected by a political party whose candidate has won the state's popular vote. Many states, in addition, have laws that require the, electorals, the, the electors to vote only for the candidate who won the state's popular vote. In 2016, a handful of electors from both parties vowed not to vote for the candidate who won the popular vote in their states, leading to the conflict decided in Chiafolo v. Washington. In its ruling, the high court said that states have the right to require those electors to vote in the manner mandated by their legislatures. Seemed simple enough. And lots of analysts on the right and left, not just Limbaugh, Rush Limbaugh, agreed to the unanimous decision as if it were an innocuous rebuke of the presumptuous electors who decided to thumb their nose at Hillary Clinton or Trump. But it was much more significant than that and was not a defeat for the left as Limbaugh originally surmised, but rather a huge victory for them and a disaster for the Constitution. Writing for the majority, Justice Elena Kagan said that the states may punish or remove such faithless electors on the basis that they are not following the dictates of the legislature. She based that argument on Article 2 of the U.S. Constitution, which says each state shall appoint in such manner as the legislature thereof may direct a number of electors equal to the whole number of senators and representatives to which the state may be entitled in the Congress. According to Kagan's reasoning, the power to appoint an elector in any manner includes power to condition his appointment absent some other constitutional constraint. She argues, therefore, that a state can require that an elector live in the state or be a registered voter, for instance, and then adds that a state can add an associated condition of appointment. It can demand that the elector actually live up to his pledge on pain of penalty, which is to say that the state's appointment power, barring some outside constraint, 
enables the enforcement of a pledge like Washington's. This is typical abuse of the plain language of the Constitution that we have come to expect of the court. The power granted to the state is the power to appoint, not the power to dictate the vote. Who is appointed and the manner of that appointment are to be determined by the state. But there is no constitutional authority for restricting the vote of the elector to be appointed. Yet with the court's latest decision, members of the Electoral College are now nothing but a rubber stamp for state legislatures. The ruling was not just about whether or not a few disgruntled electors could wave their middle finger at candidates they don't like. It changed the rules of the game and laid the groundwork for the radical left to effectively eliminate the Electoral College as a meaningful institution altogether. That's because uh, they go on to mention the the, uh, uh, National Popular Vote Interstate Compact. I'll give you the simple version. It's a bunch of states that have said, once we have enough people in this coalition that we would have 270 electoral votes, it goes into effect. We then only give our electoral, electoral votes to the popular vote winner, ensuring the popular vote winner wins the presidency. What they're saying here is that this ruling by the, oh, they say it right here, let me read it. They say the ruling was much more dangerous. According to Kagan, a state's legislature may direct the elector to vote for the winner of the state's popular vote. Using the same principle, there is no reason why a legislature cannot direct the elector to vote for the winner of the nation's popular vote. Based on the demographic trends over the past three decades, that would almost ensure the Republican Party would be locked out of the White House for the foreseeable future. It is certainly no accident that of the 15 states and the District of Columbia that have so far approved the compact, not one of them has voted Republican in any of the last three presidential elections. Well, here's the current status. The nationalpopularvote.com. Let me just break it down for you. Because of the ruling of the Supreme Court, state legislatures who have supported the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact need only include in their language, electoral electors of this state shall vote for the national popular vote winner, period. And the Supreme Court has said, okay. Now that would technically fly in the face of what the elector is supposed to do, support the winner of the state's popular vote. But there you go. Supreme Court said so. As of right now, I believe there are 194. They say, well, let me read. The national popular vote bill will take effect when enacted into law by states possessing 270 electoral votes. As of July 2020, has been enacted into law in 16 jurisdictions, possessing 196 electoral votes, including four small states, Delaware, Hawaii, Rhode Island, and Vermont. Eight medium so I'm not going to read all the states. That's silly. The bill would take effect when enacted by states possessing an additional 74 electoral votes. So they're close. I don't know who else is willing to actually join, but, or I should say, I don't know the likelihood they're willing to join, but there are many willing to join. Check this out. Let me, let me see if I can zoom in a little bit. Okay, that's not going to work. Green indicates that the national popular vote bill has been enacted into law. And we can see all the states where it is. Illinois, California, Washington, Oregon, New York, New Jersey. Of course, it's the blue states. Orange indicates passage by one legislative chamber. We can see that North Carolina, Virginia, uh, I believe it's Arkansas, Oklahoma, Arizona, Minnesota, Michigan. They've already agreed, at least in one, one, one chamber. That means we are very, very close to getting this, this national popular vote coalition. Check this out. Yellow indicates passage by both legislative chambers. So Nevada's on the verge of actu- actually enacting this. And blue indicates a hearing by at least one legislative committee. So in many different places, 
uh, many states, they've actually entertained this. Now, it looks like we are very, very close. I'm sorry, I missed Maine. Maine is actually, you know, that's, that's four electoral votes. The Electoral College is extremely important. If we lose this, I believe there would be nothing stopping the United States from dissolving. And I really do mean it. Look at the European Union. They struggle to function properly. The Electoral College is very crafty. It ensures that every state has a say in the president. If we got rid of the electoral vote, the only people would have any say in the in the actual election would be New York, California and Illinois, maybe uh, maybe Florida, maybe Texas, these big states, these major metropolitan jurisdictions. So notably the big three, New York, L.A., Chicago. Nobody's ever going to bother with Montana, Wyoming again. You know, Maine, who cares? It's funny. I see Rhode Island in there. You think anyone's going to care about your politics, Rhode Island? You're tiny. You're four votes. Delaware. That's that's hilarious. They have three. Delaware is microscopic. You ever looked at a look, look at a map? Go look how big Delaware is. Delaware is tiny. Their politics will become nothing. No one will ever cater to them. They will have no say in the presidency. None whatsoever. None. They will be a footnote in terms of presidential elections. But isn't it great that we have, we have, you know, Wyoming, Idaho, Iowa, North and South Dakota, they get their say, they get their say they're, they're, they, they, they're, let me, let me show you this. This is really, really amazing. I'm so in favor of the electoral college. This is from pro and con procon.org. Three reasons for and against the electoral college. Pro one, the founding fathers enshrined the electoral college in the U.S. because they thought it was the best method to choose the president. Con number one. The reason for which the founding fathers created the Electoral College are no longer relevant. They say modern technology allows voters to get necessary information to make informed decisions in a way that could not have been foreseen by the founding fathers. Full stop. No, it doesn't. Fake news is a very serious problem, so that is out the window. Using electors instead of the popular vote was intended to safeguard against uninformed and uneducated voters by putting the final decision in the hands of electors. They also mention it was a compromise so, so that you know, it was to prevent states with larger populations from having undue influence. That still is true to this day. So no, your, 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 your con reason doesn't make sense. Pro two, the Electoral College ensures that all parts of the country are involved in selecting the president of the United States. Exactly. Con, the Electoral College gives too much power to swing states and allows the presidential election to be decided by a handful of states. No, swing states change. They say Texas may be a swing state this time around. That's massive. That's how many? 38? 38 electoral votes up for grabs. Swing states change. California wasn't always a blue state. It was Republican up throughout the 80s, up until the 80s. And it wasn't always jam packed with electoral votes. It used to be a big empty state. Now it's powerful. So this argument out the window. Pro three, the Electoral College guarantees certainty to the outcome of the presidential election, saying that in some votes, if it was just a popular vote, you get a plurality that's not good. If we go by the popular vote, let's say you have 10 candidates and and uh, nine of them get nine. And then you end up with one with 19 percent. 19. They win. The electoral vote ensures it doesn't happen. It's not perfect. But if no one gets a plurality of the electoral college, it goes to the House delegations. It's better than nothing, right? They say the electoral college ignores the will of the people. No, it doesn't. It does not ignore the will of the people. California and New York are highly dense and they are, pers- they are blind to the perspectives of people who live in other parts of the country. 
You cannot have city folk who've never grown a, a plant dictating what farmers do with their plants. And therein lies the problem. It doesn't ignore the will of the people. It, it guarantees, it safeguards the true will of the people by ensuring a balance in perspective. Let me wrap this up. Give you the point. The Supreme Court has paved the way. I know I've made a lot of arguments for the Electoral College, but I'll tell you this. We are very close to losing it. All the metrics right now say the Democrats are going to sweep everything. And I mean it, everything, all three branches. No joke. Take a look at it. They're saying fundraising, polls, they're going to get the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And then what's to stop them from passing this? And the Republicans never win again. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. on this channel.